0: This is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings and all things Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampinato. This is the Stick Blade Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. It is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, just general news around the NHL. On tonight's show, we got a little bit to talk about, in particular, the Chicago Blackhawks and uh, Vegas Golden Knights playoff series recap. series is over, and unfortunately, Chicago's out of the playoffs this year, but sort of recapping the series, what it means for players, what it means for coaching staff moving forward. Also, we have to talk a little bit about what it means in particular for Jeremy Collison, because, I mean, this is now another season that the Hawks have not made it deep into the playoffs at all. And still, I mean, running with the core that they have right now, what does that mean for him moving forward? On the Red Wings side of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the fact that Detroit has officially re-upped forward Evgeny Svechnikov to a one-year contract. And also just some rumors floating around that they might be a trade partner for the Toronto Maple Leafs going forward, just with how the flat cap's going to work. The fact that the salary cap's not going to be rising like a lot of teams thought it was. And the fact that Detroit, given their cap situation, might be able to do actual work for them in their rebuild. And then after that, we're going to be talking about some of the other first round playoff series that went down. Just some surprises and shocking, I guess, outcomes that we didn't expect. And then we'll also just take a quick look at the series going on right now and just give our general thoughts. And with all that said, I believe that's it for our uh, show schedule. So let's just dive into it, boys. How are you guys doing?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot. I'm still in mourning, but there is a lot to unpack and be excited about for the future. There are concerns, but there's a lot that we can focus on now, which is really, really cool. That's sort of where I'm at in the postmortem processing phase. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm with you, Tim. I mean, like... It's kind of at the point we're recording on Sunday night now. It's all settled in. Uh, you know, if this was recorded on Tuesday night, or not, yeah, Tuesday night last week, or, yeah, it could have been ugly, but. Oh,
1: yeah. That would have been very uh, fresh. I would have been very, I, w- I would have been grieving.
2: Yeah. We, but, uh, you know, we're going through the stages in the uh, morning process. So uh, here we are, you know, a little more cheered up because it, it's all settled in. But now. Uh, the hockey that I am. This is like one of my favorite parts of the season is the off season. I mean, I, you get to watch the games, enjoy the team, but now this is where the team's built. So, I kind of want to just
0: jump right into the Hawks series because I feel like that was the main piece of content that we've had for the past couple weeks, and I just kind of want to break it down. So, if you just look at the scoreboard, Vegas won the series four to one, and. I have to give it to Vegas. I thought that they were the better team overall. But to be fair, I did not think that Chicago looked completely out of place here. I mean, did we see the explosiveness that has come to be expected from their roster? No, absolutely not. But at the same time, you, I think you saw flashes of what the future of this team could be, given the fact that... Players like Kirby Dock seem to be having at least semi-decent playoffs. You saw a couple of the guys who were deeper down the roster contributing. I think while this obviously is a disappointment for Chicago because they want to make it deep in the playoffs like everybody does, the fact that they saw production from the depth of their team is a great sign moving forward. What were your guys' main takeaways from this series?
1: I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead, Tim. Start us off. Start us off. I'll take it from here. Uh, I think the big thing, you hit the nail on the head. There's no doubt in I think anyone's mind that Vegas was the better team. They are built for a quintessential playoff run. They're deep at every position. They've got four lines that are wreaking havoc. Phenomenal goaltending, deep defense. But the big takeaway for me was that the Hawks never seemed out of it for most of our games. It was a one or two goal difference. There were no blowouts particularly, and we saw a lot from our you know young stars. We saw a lot from our depth guys. You know, seeing Olimada step up to the plate uh, and become a driving force for our offense was. Unexpected. Matthew Highmore had this phenomenal engine and he rounded out our fourth line to actually give us a legitimate shutdown grinding line. Um, I have some concerns about especially where some of our offense went. I still need to see more from Nylander. I think that we're all in agreement on that. Um, I thought that Strom picked up and adjusted a little bit as the game went on. DeBrinket is still snake bit. But yeah, the fact that we didn't get swept, which was my number one concern, and the fact that we played hockey and hung in there and tangled with the Vegas Golden Knights, who I think are going to win the Stanley Cup, that's a win for me. Yeah,
2: you two guys just hit the nail on the head. Like uh, you both said, they played. They went out there and competed with Vegas night after night. I mean, the biggest blowout game was a four to one game in Game One. Even that was on a chance taken. I I mean, it was a shorthanded goal, but Mark Stone with a filthy pass to I (laughs) think it was Riley Smith. And but yeah, you had to take chances at that point. So I mean, what's the difference between two and three? You're down either way. So I mean, a three goal game that was in the final minutes of the game is not bad at all. But they were in it. They were in it every night. Especially game two, that overtime. You know, they tied it up late in the second with a, I think it was a couple like seven seconds left and came passing it to Strome and I thought that got him going. But uh yeah, in it in every game, uh tough tough to go down. It's alright to still be disappointed. I mean, I know we didn't expect to be here. Uh we didn't deserve to be here with how the regular <laughs> season went, but they fought, they you know, handled the oilers pretty handedly and yeah, you can I mean it's alright to be disappointed, but you know, we got we had some extra hockey that we didn't deserve, and uh,
1: we got the best of it. Absolutely. We, we've had bonus hockey, and we showed that while we didn't necessarily deserve to be there, we earned our place by battling with Edmonton and getting to a point where, okay, now we have to face the Knights. And you talk about that overtime in Game 2. If we weren't so snakebit and attracted to the posts, that that puck goes in just a little bit lower on that Strom shot where he hit the, oh my gosh, we'd be talking about Strom as a playoff hero. I mean, I think, go ahead, finish your thought. Oh, well, I was just going to talk about like, I think we hit like 13 posts or something. That's what I was going to
2: chime in and say, yeah, 13 posts in two rounds. I mean, it's a game of inches. That just goes to show like if, hell, even centimeters, you put the puck a little bit, Further down, think, hit the crossbar. it will be crossbar in or off the post in it. But, uh, you know, even guys like Patrick Kane are <laughs> missing
1: open nets or oh, hit, he hitting he posts. his soul. Just leave him as he missed that net. I, oh, my heart goes out to him because he tried a couple times to just will that game to victory. And hockey is hockey's a weird sport. Like, it doesn't matter how precise you are. If the puck is just a little bit, physics is weird, and it's all about how you get the puck off your stick, and it's a game of inches, like you said.
2: Yeah, I mean to think, I mean maybe if there's fans there, you know, if they're breathing heavy, may blow the puck a little bit <laughs> to the other side. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, Patrick Kane obviously didn't account for no fans, but no, I mean all all seriousness, but they need. It, they just got lucky. I mean, I don't want to say it was all luck because Vegas is definitely the better team. I mean, you've seen it. You've seen it game after game. They were throwing their fourth line against anyone, their third line against anyone. They didn't care. I mean, they could match lines with any any of the Blackhawks line. I mean, Blackhawks have two very solid lines. Vegas has four, and that's the difference in that series.
1: And that's we had a really solid top six. Uh, you know, even with like. Demrinkit might not have been scoring a lot of goals, but he was shooting, and he was getting uh, some fantastic game three? chances. He was on fire. Game three? What did he record? Eight shots? Nine shots? Yeah, and, and like I think a total of 16 like attempts, which is ridiculous. Um, but it's, we had uh, our top six is solid. Our, bo- our, what's it called? Our fourth line has solidified. That third line, now I would like to see Shaw healthy, and I would like to see a third line of Shaw, Strom, Kajula. I think think that there's speed on that line. I think Kajula is a speedy player. Both him and Shaw can get in the rough spots and get into the corners. And Strom, with his playmaking and vision, can set them up for some back and forth. They can give him space. Maybe that's what they need.
2: We'll get, i'll get into it a little later but i think you just named two guys that probably aren't on the blackhawks roster next season oh man that's gonna uh, we'll, we'll get after yeah, yeah. we recap the rest of the series we'll get into that but uh jordan what were your thoughts i thought
0: it was really interesting right because chicago the shot differential between them and vegas was noticeably different just very noticeably different in terms of just the number of chances that they had to score goals, their conversion rate with shots. And I mean, we talked about this during the regular season, but the power play just, it seemed like it was so hot and cold this series. I mean, the first game just absolutely on fire. And then all of a sudden just, it would be gone. It seemed like it was basically just drowned out. But the one thing that I really liked about this series, it looks like the younger players were taking steps forward forward now were there times that I thought that for example and I, I mean I'll talk about him in particular because I think he was probably one of the funnest players to watch but one of the most frustrating players to watch at the same time Kirby Doc <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like yeah, okay. you see the flashes there of what this kid's got in terms of like a skill set like he wasn't afraid to you know start going onto the boards wasn't afraid to try to play a bigger body game and At the same time, you would see him have these chances, and he would just not take them. So you sort of see, I think, in particular, him and Boquist, these players who have the instincts to bury these great playoff players, you see these guys who, when they fill out their frames, are going to be able to be impact guys long-term, but the experience just isn't there yet. And for me, that was something that I really picked up and I think was great to watch because, honestly, Doc did not look out of place these playoffs, I didn't think. And that was the surprise to me.
2: Yeah, you've seen it again. I mean, we talked about the Edmonton series how often we said that he needs to shoot the puck and you've seen it it even more in the Vegas series. I mean, the amount of times that you know the TV is shoot the puck for Kirby. (laughs) I mean, I feel like a fan of the United Center while we're on the power play. Like no. He just doesn't shoot. And, I mean, it's going to grow with maturity and development, but he needs to look for – I mean, I know he's a crafty – he's a playmaker, he's crafty, he likes to get in front of the net, but when you have an, a two-on-one and the defender is clearly going for to the block, block the pass, Fire! fired, get the rebound, maybe it goes in or pick your corner. Just, I mean, I, I know – and he played really well. He played great against Vegas. He – he was always along the boards, always a second, uh, the second man in to attack the puck and help out along the boards. But, you know, you got to shoot the puck. But again, it's going to come. It will come with development.
1: Right. As a 19 year old rookie, I, I really don't think we can. I, everything that we're saying now is nitpicking because he provided such a fantastic performance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If it's not that, dogging on him. If No, God, not at all. If. If he was invisible out there, we wouldn't be saying, God, I wish he would shoot the puck. We're saying, oh, my God, what is he doing? Where? Wh- why is he not a presence on the ice? Doc has provided us so many wonderful plays where we're watching him bulldoze through the neutral zone or, like, pick somebody's pocket by just muscling him out and scooping the puck. I am blown away by his poise and his presence on the ice. And he's the first rookie in a long time that doesn't look like he's starstruck by Tays and Kane. Yes, he's deferring and making passes when he should be shooting the puck, but that's an issue that ninety percent of the team is having, which is frustrating when we have so many like goal scorers on that team. Uh but that's gonna come when we see him in a year or two down the line. He's gonna have that experience, like we've been talking about, where he says, "Okay, I'm I've been here before. I know what to do in this situation." That's where I think that the playoff experience is so valuable, where he can say, "It's okay, I've been here before." Boquist, yep, Boquist, gonna go there. like he his confidence hurt a little bit. He seemed like he was, he struggled a little bit. Um, But here's the thing I wouldn't mind if he had been in these playoffs on the third pairing. I think that having him a little more sheltered, you know, putting him with Keith was fantastic for a lot of development, but it also meant that he was going up against Mark Stone and Paccioretti. And oh my God, if I was a 19 year old defenseman, forget it. I don't want to go up against guys like that when I'm still like... And the thing that I had to remind myself was his development was rushed. He was never supposed to be in Chicago this year. He should have been in Rockford all year. But we had so many injuries to defensemen that we said, eh, we're probably not going to make the playoffs anyway. Bring the kid up. Let's give him a year. And then we said, oh, I guess we're here now. Welcome to the playoffs. So the fact that he hung out as well as he did and didn't get completely rocked. That's a huge step for me.
2: Yeah. I mean, there was a couple things with Boquist that you could easily nitpick. Oh yeah. Like one, I was big on, or I mean, there was a couple of bad defensive plays. I think it was when Alec, it was game five, Alex Tuck just took it in on him and just looked like a whole different human, I guess, Darist like a, an animal. Yep, But, um, Besides that, I mean, that was really the very noticeable defensive play that Boak was kind of you know, embarrassed on. But uh, confidence in controlling the puck is what I'm a little concerned about. You know, that's always going to be a average to below average defender, but an elite puck handler slash offensive defenseman. Right. And again, he's young. It It will come. But I want to see him more confident with the puck. I mean you got Connor Murphy out there dangling oh
1: my half the Vegas nice roster. I
2: want to see Boquist at least do something near that. Like Murphy's not an offensive defenseman and he's out there doing that. Just you know, the confidence was there during the regular season. He wanted the puck on a stick. Right. During the during the playoffs, it just seemed like, you know, he got it and forced a pass or just got rid of it right away. It just he's a threat when he has a puck and then he just gotta realize that.
1: I would like to see him next year, and it depends on if Mitchell's able to jump in right off the bat. It depends on if Seabrook's healthy and able to come back. I would like to see Boquist on the third line and with power play time, much like we brought up Nick Letty. I agree with you. I I think that that's going to be good for his confidence. Put him against uh, bottom six forwards and let him be able to try making some of those plays that he's not going to be able to make against McDavid or Mark stone. uh, But he can make them against bottom six guys. Give him that responsibility and let him hone his skills in the show. Yeah. And I think the last
2: young and to really touch on that, we could all probably unanimously agree is Alex Nylander is so far a huge disappointment.
1: He is so frustrating to me because when it's in training camp and scrimmages and like meaningless games he's brilliant. He's got all the skill in the world. He's making plays, he's connecting, he's you know tape to tape. And then we get into games that matter and he disappears. Like I'm not I'm not ready to give up on the idea that he's a legitimate hockey player, not even from a Hawks perspective. Like if we trade him I would not be surprised if at some point he figures it out. But there is something there, whether he doesn't want to get hit. Like, even you saw Strom on one of the beautiful goals that he sent. Uh, he took the hit to make the play. He passed it to Debrinket, and Debrinket scored. I never see Nylander ever willing to take a hit. Like, you don't need to play the body. You don't need to be an aggressive guy. but you need to be able to not shy away from contact if you're trying to get the puck somewhere.
2: Yeah. He won't fight for pucks. Like if it's no. along the boards, he always finds a way to weasel his way out. And I mean, when you're playing when you're on the third or fourth line at this point, you gotta, you gotta show some will. I mean, that should be a sign that Jeremy Colliton's putting you on the third or fourth line. When you're supposed to be a, you, you were in the top six in the start of the season. I think you're on the first line to start the season. And you're just not working for it, like you if you want to score goals in the n h l you gotta work for it, and he expects everything to be a slate for him, or I don't know what's going on, but and oh yeah, again, he's young, but I can't he's getting old he's getting up there where he should be mature and developed, and it's just not there,
1: although the funny thing, like the thing that I keep reminding myself is he's still twenty one I think he just turned twenty two recently. Dylan Sakura is 24, and there's still people that are like, well, Dylan Sakura could have a shot, and it's like, he's 24. Like, there's still time for a lot of, there's still time for Strom to take that next step. There's still time for Nylander. I just – I don't know what it is with Nylander, and I always hate to say things like, oh, he doesn't show like he's passionate or that he doesn't care because, like, he's in the NHL. He has to care. He has to be passionate about this. I don't know. From a date, Jordan, from an outside perspective, what do you see with Nylander?
0: For me, Nylander's an interesting player. Sometimes (laughs) you see confidence, sometimes you see a player who is in their element, and then much like you guys just said, you see a player who's trying to avoid the situations that are going to bring about those goals or those assists that change games. And and like you said, he's not, I don't think ever going to be a certified top line player. I don't think he'll be a certified top six player for that matter. Just watching the, the actual games. I just, I didn't see that from him. He, in my opinion, it, Almost looks like he's trying to scrap for offense and production, which you can't do that as a forward. At least not if you want to have any longevity in the NHL. I mean, you kind of see it with a lot of prospects, not even just inside you know, the NHL, but around the hockey world in general. Guys who try to pick up the scraps of board battles or guys who just literally park in the slot and wait for the playmakers to have it happen for them. That sort of play isn't going to get you a career in the NHL. It's not going to get you really a long-term career in hockey in general. But that's the thing that frustrates me about him is you see these moments where he actually looks like a serviceable, you know, bottom six guy. And then you also see these moments where he looks like he has no business being out there.
1: Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more. Yep.
0: Now, I want to ask you guys about the playoffs, the series with Vegas. Now, obviously, the Hawks, they lost the series, and the series ended, what was it, four, yeah, 4-1. Four, now, obviously, the Posts were far and away Chicago's worst enemy for this playoff yeah. series. I mean, what was it, three of the games were one or two goal games? Yeah. I mean, I'm, no. trying to th- I'm trying to think of the losses. So they had the 1-4 loss, which obviously obviously, was a, not a great way to start the series. Um, the next loss that they had after that was the overtime loss that they lost 3-4. So again, that's a one-goal game and an overtime. Uh, the game after that, it was a 2-1 game that Vegas won in regulation. So again, a one-goal game. And then... They battled back 1-3-1 over Vegas, and then the final game, they lost 3-4 again in regulation. So three of these five games were one-goal games. If the power play clicks more, or even just two of those post shots go in, you've got a completely different series here on your hands, potentially. What would you guys say was the biggest frustration for the Hawks in terms of just not getting those two goals that would have mattered?
2: Biggest frustration is just, again, it's going to – I mean, I know we've seen it out of Matthew Highmore. It's it just – you can't expect your top two lines to go do everything for you. You can't. The power play is also a big concerning – was another big concerning factor because they were given t- opportunity after opportunity – they took advantage of it in one game against Edmonton, and that was really about it. And you know, it's just the fact that they can't get depth scoring. I mean, I know they have guys like Shaw out. It's probably maybe a little bit of a different series of Shaw. Maybe Seabrook's oh, yeah. in there. And uh, But, yeah, you got to get scoring out of all four lines. You know, Highmore showed that a little bit. Uh, even Olimada stepped up, but – uh, when it comes to relying on Tays and Kane, you can't do it at do that at night after night. Uh, I know they're out of this world players, and all you know, they're elite top twenty players in the NHL, top ten. It's just tough when you can't get goals out of your third or fourth line.
1: I mean, that's exactly it. They knew watching some of these Vegas games, they targeted Patrick Kane, not by you know hitting him and beating him into the boards. But by taking away his lanes, they neutralized Kane for a majority of that series. And it was because they could. They they could focus on him and leave other areas open. And I think one of those big reasons is nobody seemed willing to shoot the puck. Yep. It, it was consistently passed to Kane or like... I would watch where Ken would make these slick passes to somebody and 2 seconds later it be going right back to him and you can almost think like wait no 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 you that was for you to shoot that was for you that was a gift uh, the fact that our third line should have pulled some of that pressure they didn't even worry they didn't worry if you know Strom had the puck because eh he's going to pass it You'd see Leonard a couple times wasn't even looking at them <laughs> there There became this sort of idea that there's only like two people that are gonna shoot the puck, and everyone else is just setting them up and we can't survive that way Oh, Leonard was cheating big time I mean oh, that's God, what God. I, that that's
2: what uh Highmore realized I mean when he fired that from the fired his shot from the goal line it bounced off Leonard's helmet and went in. He knew he wasn't. Like, Leonard was kind of looking for where the pass was going to go, and Highmore just took advantage.
1: Leonard thought that he could headbutt the puck away. He's like, ah, oh, there it is. Like, that's not a serious shot. And hockey's weird. Puck luck is real. It bounced in. <laughs> Besides that,
2: I can't think of any other production from a different line. It was the the top two.
1: because uh, I think Strom's goal came off. Yep. We had switched up, and we were double and triple shifting Kane. um, But that's not sustainable. Like, you know, Taze was still a force and presence on the ice. But again, you if it's just Taze on the ice, you can isolate him. If it's just Kane on the ice, you can isolate him. I would have... I'm a huge Sod fan, and I thought that Sod has looked fantastic this year, and he really stepped up in these playoffs. I would have liked to see a little bit more from him in the Vegas series just because he can get a little more physical. He can, you know, back-check really, really well. And it might have opened up a little more space for Kubelik and Taze a little bit. But I can't really nitpick him when there's a lot of other areas that were much bigger concerns.
0: I want to talk about the rest of the playoffs a little bit later, because that also, I think, has to do with uh, the topic of Kaliton. So I want to touch on that a little bit later. Great, um, but let's go ahead and talk about the Wings news this week because we finally have some news in Wingsland to talk about. All right, for the first time in what <laughs> seems like forever. Um, so first thing first, the Detroit Red Wings officially signed uh, forward prospect Evgeny Svechnikov to a one-year contract. And for anybody who hasn't been following Evgeny Svechnikov, this has sort of been his development path. He got drafted, and he got sent to Grand Rapids, had a pretty decent year in Grand Rapids. He got brought up to Detroit, and he played a stint of games in Detroit. And then he had a terrible injury for, I believe it was his ACL, that basically put him out for an entire year of hockey time. He comes back, gets put back in Grand Rapids, because obviously you don't leave the game for a year and come right back to the NHL. And during that year that he had basically away from the game due to the ACL injury, the Red Wings drafted Philip Zadina. They ended up having Robbie Fabry become an acquisition for them. So he sort of got jumped in the prospect pool and player system for Detroit. And now he's in this weird spot of having to make it or break it this year. And for me... It's got to be a frustrating thing to look at as a player because he's not in this position through any fault of his own freak injuries happen in hockey in all sports for that matter. But in hockey in particular, they can just happen out of nowhere, which is what happened with him. I like the fact that Detroit is willing to do another one year deal and, you know, give him a chance at the show. But for me, If Detroit's going to do this to him as a player, they have got to be willing to give him middle six minutes. I'm going to be furious if, come hockey time, when the season resumes, whenever it resumes, if I see him on the fourth line playing with guys like Luke Glendening or Justin Abdelkader if Abdelkader hasn't been married in Grand Rapids. Detroit has essentially given Evgeny Svechnikov an ultimatum of make it or break it in this league. And if they don't put him in a middle six position, which is what I think he needs to actually prove that, because he's not a grinder, he's not a shutdown winger. If they don't do that for him, I honestly think they're doing him a disservice at this point as a player, just for his career, his development, stuff like that. Um, now Nick or Tim, I don't know how much you guys follow the Red Wings prospects at all or their system, but. Just from the outside looking in, what do you guys think about this just philosophy and deal that they've made towards him?
2: Well, wasn't he wasn't he originally weighing his options to go to the KHL?
0: Um, I believe that's the rumor that was circulating for a while, but it might have I'm been not seen. sure how much weight there is to that. And also, I mean, if he goes to the KHL... There's also the idea of if he becomes a roster player over there and he's making more than he'll make in the NHL immediately, he could just stay there and then he's just gone forever.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I was just wondering from that retrospect, just because I, mean, I feel like there has to be something included. Like, if he was weighing an option to go to the KHL to, you know, maybe re- rejuvenate his career, or, I mean, help at his point get it started, uh, if he went into the contract negotiations, and, you know, accepted it to be a fourth-line player. That's infuriating. But I think if the KHL was a real possibility, uh, then I think he might be seeing him on, like, third, second-line minutes. So, uh, But I think this is a fair deal for him. You know, one more year, prove it deal. Maybe get you some real minutes, get you in better opportunities. I think the Red Wings are going to have a better constructed roster next season than they will like this past season. And you're going to see a lot of more of the young guys come up. So if you play him well and he meshes with, I don't know, I don't know if Valeno's ready or not, but there's Zadina, who knows? I mean, there's there's a lot of future offensive talent coming with the Red Wings. And if some of those guys call up next season and they click with Svestikov, you know, maybe his career could finally get going.
1: I mean, absolutely. Again, I agree with everything that you guys are saying. Um, I also think that we have to weigh the possibility that – Detroit signed him to this one-year deal so they can then trade him because it seems like they have a lot of young forwards and a lot of young scoring or playmaking forwards that aren't necessarily conducive for the bottom six, per se, like you mentioned earlier. I don't necessarily... And again, I'm a complete outside observer to watching Detroit, but... With your young players that are coming up, with the players that you've got, I don't know how much realistic room there is for Svechnikov to get the chance to beat somebody out because putting him in those minutes would be taking someone else out of those minutes. Would it be worth it to try and trade Svechnikov, who has a lot of potential still and is on a very affordable one year deal? To a team that maybe it can cement your blue line a little bit more. Or maybe you can get a decent defenseman and a good pick for Svechnikov. Or maybe he goes to Chicago one for one with Alex Nielander. I wouldn't (laughs) complain about that. (laughs) Uh, That might just be my wishful thinking. I'd take a chance on him. But I think that he's worth more now as a trade chip. And especially if he was going to go to the KHL, they could lose him for nothing. I don't know yeah,
2: I I, I, It makes sense. And, uh, you know, I'm going to connect the dots a little more. A team that's very steady on the blue line and, you know, maybe you would want an Evgeny Svechnikov is the Carolina Hurricanes. Put him with, uh, you know, maybe you get a little extra motivation out of, uh, yeah, put him with Andre. And, uh, you know, you get something more out of him. I and mean, I think Carolina is going to be against the cap because they got Dougie Hamilton coming back. And, uh, yeah, they're very steady on the blue line like always. So, I mean, it would make sense. First-round picks in this league, former first-round picks in this league are still overvalued even when they oh. have very little playing time. But he still has a, quite a bit of value. Maybe not like a first-round pick in return, but like a third-round pick and a okay defenseman. I'll get the job done the thing
0: that it's kind of, for me, it's kind of like frustrating looking in because like I said, his spot on the roster hasn't been locked away because of any fault of his own. It's literally right. an injury that it's a freak injury. Like it happens. And Detroit happened to have the hockey gods show them favor and get Phillip Zedina through the draft, which sort of takes that weird winger spot that he had in theory not Not necessarily set for him, but at the time of his draft, that winger spot was going to be his. That spot that Zadina fills right now. And also, just again, Robbie Fabry, surprise picket from St. Louis, who just became great for Detroit. Like You have these two players who came in when you got injured who weren't in the pipeline at the time for your roster spot. You get injured they fill those spots and now you're just kind of sitting in limbo and you didn't do anything wrong. You're not a bad player, but now the roster's full. I mean, my only thought process could be maybe Detroit does, you know, send Abdulkader or Darren Helm or somebody down to Grand Rapids and plays them strictly on the third line. Maybe that's what happens. I'm not sure. But I kind of like your idea, Nick, about trading him for like you know a third-round draft pick and a decent defenseman.
2: Yeah, I mean he's still like I said, he first-round picks will always be overvalued in this league until they show they're bust. And you know, Streichikov just hasn't had the resume at all to prove that that he's a bust. He just hasn't had the opportunities. I mean, it's no no hard feelings in him. I'm sure the Red Wings expressed this to him before. It's just a business, like it sucks that you got injured, and when it was your time to help you know, prove us that you could be a top six player or a top nine player on this team, but
1: you know that's what it is,
2: and now we're doing this courtesy to either play you or trade you somewhere that you could go show that
1: well, that's where I think it almost a trade almost makes the most sense for all parties because i like Jordan, who would you swap out? to give Svechnikov the, the time in that top six. If, again, third line might make the most sense for him if it's going to be a scoring line, but if we really want to see him up there, through no fault of his own, other people have stepped up and shown up, and now he's just sort of like, hey, okay, where's the space for me now? He, he could flourish on another team because... He's got the skill sets. It's not like he just didn't produce. He got hurt,
0: like you said. So, for me, this is a complicated one. Because when you look at Svechnikov's AHL numbers, his AHL numbers were actually really, really good comparatively to, like, the group around him. Like, I want to say his Corsi numbers were some of the best in the AHL of the year that he was about to get pulled up to Detroit. Like, the offensive instincts are absolutely there for him, like I would almost say that if Detroit were gonna give him middle six minutes because I don't think he's gonna get top line play. I just I don't see it happening if given what Detroit has, I would imagine putting him either second or third line with valpe uh, Vals centering him with either Bertuzzi or Zadina on the other wing basically you play Philpola as a playmaker between two scoring wingers that would be my thought process behind it um if you play him third line or third line wing you're probably going to play him with Franz Nielsen and either Darren Helm or Robbie Fabry um unless they put Fabry back at the center position which I'm not sure if they'll do that because. I don't think he's really a natural center, in my opinion. So I'd imagine that would have to be the line combinations I'd give him. Other than that, though, I don't know, like you guys are saying, where he fits. So I think maybe the trade is what happens with him.
1: It it, it (sighs) makes sense that you'd want to get something for a quality player instead of letting him go to the KHL or mismanaging the fact that there's there's just no room. Again, I would like to see something. Again, you talk about those scoring instincts. It's not realistic, but you know, would you accept like Olimata, William Nylander, and maybe oh. a low pick?
2: Wait, hold on, hold on. Backtrack. We got the shitty one.
1: <laughs> wait, what? Alex. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the The other one. I got really excited for a second when I saw that trade, and then I realized, oh wait, Alex. Yeah. Um, Olimata, Alex Nielander, and maybe like a a low pick, would that be something you'd be interested in? A a serviceable blue liner that could help anchor uh, a kid with potential that you could put on the third or fourth line and not feel like you're squandering him and a pick for Chicago to get a guy that you didn't have room for anymore.
0: That's a hard one. You know, I, I actually think I wouldn't really hate that trade to be honest and for me it's Detroit needs to fill out just more players that they can rotate through the roster to, in theory, turn over for picks because they're still in the rebuild phase. Svechnikov would, in my opinion, be given ample chance in Chicago to be a scoring forward. I mean, you you put him with a guy like Strom, for example, on the second line, who's a playmaker more than anything else, I think that's a better chance for him to flourish. Um. And the thing is, I mean, Svechnikov, he's pretty much filled out his body at this point in his career. I mean, he's not a small guy anymore. He's very much a big boy. So, I mean, you want a guy who can play big on the boards, who can also score? Svechnikov kind of fills that bill for Chicago. Because, I mean, I don't think, at least coming to mind anyway, I can think of anybody in their forward group who... It looks to be that true, like, power forward type guy in the boards for him. I mean, Saad, I think, is kind of that guy, but I don't think I can think of any other names off the top of my head.
1: I mean, Shaw can certainly do it when he comes back, but we don't have... Uh, Kajula is able to grind in the corners, but we it's not our... That's not the majority of our team. That's not our strong suit. And it showed.
0: I mean, maybe that's a deal that could work, because, I mean...
1: I mean, I don't hate that deal.
0: (laughs) I I, I mean, I wouldn't hate it. I mean, Detroit needs to acquire assets at this point in the rebuild still because they're not done. And, I mean, Chicago really wants to move those players and wants to try to pick up something maybe a little bit more stable or just something different. Maybe Sveshnikov is that player. And the thing is, he doesn't really hit
2: you guys hard cap-wise either. No. No. That's uh, what we need going to this off season. But okay we'll get. I'll get
0: to that later. <laughs> um, speaking of the salary cap, though, another thing that sort of came up this week, and I don't know how much weight there actually is to this, but just because of the way that the salary cap is going to be flat this off season, there have been rumors of the Toronto Maple Leafs potentially trying to be trade partners with the Detroit Red Wings, which I think is interesting given how just abysmal Toronto's cap seat or cap situation is right now and how they've kind of bought in, but they haven't bought into a full on do or die right now mode. Obviously Toronto's not trading any of the big four for their team. At least I can't imagine they would to Detroit. Who do you guys think if Detroit was going to pick up off Toronto, they would pick up because Toronto's got, to get some cap space, they literally can't breathe at this point.
1: I mean, I'm looking at the salaries of some of their players, um, and there's not a lot that you can really shed that would do uh, the impact that they need. I mean, the the ones that I'm really seeing are Cody, uh, Cody CC is at four and a half mil a year, um. Kaspari Kapanen is at 4 mil, 400. Um, Zach Hyman's at 2.5 mil. Those are really the big ones that everyone else is like either on an entry-level-esque deal or under a mil, or they're the people that you're not going to be able to trade. Tyson Berry, they're not getting rid of. Morgan Riley, they're not getting rid of. Like, that's be Jake Muzzin, they're not getting rid of. um, But those are all potential options that they could shed a couple million in salary and not be losing a core piece. I think the
2: uh, I think the most realistic option is he, his name was thrown along the rumors years ago, but you're going to have to get a big return for him is William Nylander. I mean, he's a core piece, don't get me wrong, but was, I think he's at 675
1: I, wanna say I think that's right. Up there. His his salary cap hit for is around six point five.
2: Yeah, so I mean, it's not insurmountable to go get a guy like William Nylander. You're gonna have to pay a uh, hefty price just for what he is able to accomplish on the ice. Six point nine million is the salary cap. Sorry, but yeah, it's Toronto's against the wall, and I mean, obviously, Detroit makes sense and. Uh, William, A guy like William Nylander, you're going to have to pay a big price for. Uh, and then like, Kasperi Kapanen, Cody CeCe, those are all names that Tim listed off. But I, they are the team that got affected with this flat cap the most, and now they're going to have to dig themselves out of it. Now,
0: I, I know it's completely a, like a left field probably will never happen thing, but do you think that maybe Toronto could even look at somebody who – Yes, the contract's not bad. Like a guy like Morgan Riley, for example, right? Like he's making what is it, like five million a year right now? Yeah. Five I million mean, Riley's got what is it, two years left in his contract and then he's due for a re up with the team.
1: There's no way in God's green earth they would trade Morgan Riley. No, but the thing is, like
0: realistically speaking, when he's due for a re up, they're not gonna have the money to sign him anyway. Oh god like, no so they're going to lose him either to free agency, which I don't think is really in their best interest, or they could essentially try to pick up or sorry, not try to pick up, try to send away him and try to pick up a bunch of young prospects from Detroit and sort of do this whole, we're moving you a certified roster player who looks to be, a, you know, like a top four defenseman, you know what you're getting and you, we're taking, you know, $5 million off their cap books, but we're also replenishing their cupboard with players. Now, granted, I'm not, there's no way in hell I'm sending them a player like Moritz Slider or Philip Zadina, but.
1: But that's what they would require. I mean, Morgan Riley is their number one defenseman and has shown that he can carry their defense. I mean, they've been operating under three or four defensemen. That are legitimate for a couple years. To me, if they move Morgan Riley, they're admitting that they're in a not not a full blown rebuild. But if you move your number one defenseman, you're saying I'm punting on yeah. the next couple years, and I don't know how a uh, John Tavares who ain't getting any younger, how he's gonna respond to that. I I think if Morgan Riley's up in two years then they say we have two years to win a cup because they're in win now mode. They have to be. Yeah. Tim's a hundred percent. Right.
2: I mean, you you got a stud defenseman locked up at 5 million for the next two seasons. And not to mention a modified no trade clause kicks in next season as well on his contract. You just, you gotta, you gotta ride it out. I mean, this is your windows two years right now. Unless the, I think the cap stays flat for the next two years. So at the end of that contract, unless the cap mag goes up tremendously, you're looking at I mean, Morgan Wiley, Riley Walk. So, I mean, that's the situation the Wings are in due to loading up on forward. Huh, with right. Tavares, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and the list goes on. But, uh, yeah, you can't let a guy like Riley, you can't trade him. And, you know, your window's two years, so I don't think he's a realistic option that they can move.
1: Here's the thing, though. I'm also looking at Alexander Kerfoot, who's at five mil a year. I, if I'm, if I'm Toronto, do I move, a you know, someone like Kapanen or Kerfoot because they've got centers? Like, yes, they need a third line center in Kerfoot, but they can get a third line center back from Detroit, theoretically. Um, I could see for Detroit, if you needed a third line wiener uh third line uh winger, Kaspari Kapanen makes a lot of sense. He's a phenomenal like middle six scorer that has that possi- that has that opportunity and he's at four point four. I just this roster is not conducted in a way that it can be either blown up or maneuvered. <laughs> they kinda just of stuck. Cause it's all like entry level or under a mill contracts, and then guys that are four point, you know, four point four or over,
2: they're they're just stuck. They're they just got to take advantage of this two year window they kind of have, and uh, hope they can sneak one Stanley Cup in there. And
1: again, I I need to. When is Anderson up? Is Anderson up in a year or two years?
2: I think it's next season.
1: What do you do? I mean, that might be. Their big issue. Oh
0: my gosh! You know, let me look at Freddie Anderson's contract right now.
1: Yeah, but look, look at this because it is—it's a, a reasonable contract, and it's a five-year five deal flow. with five
2: million that expires in 2021.
0: Oh yeah, so he's he's up after next year, there there's no way he resigns for five million or less. There's no way
1: he can't. Yeah, unless he takes a an outrageous home like. An outrageous discount to stay with this team, but we're not seeing any hometown discounts right now from Toronto.
0: And the other thing is this I mean, like Freddie Anderson, he's been playing with the team for, you know, by the time this contract's over five years. And just looking at it from a player's perspective, if a team's asking me to re sign with them, and they want me to take a discount while well, I'm going to ask, what have you done for me lately? And to be honest, the answer for him is Jack Squat. Like, they haven't done well in the playoffs. They haven't even really made the playoffs, for that matter.
1: I mean, yeah, they've been first, they've been one and done first round exits. And he remembers a time still when he was playing with the Ducks where they were going to the Western Conference final. They were a force to be reckoned with every year, and he was a big part of that. I. You know he's still hungry for a cup, and is this team really the the one that's gonna get him there?
2: I think that I think they got that Toronto stink on them for another couple of years. It's uh, it's tough.
1: And I don't want to be the I don't want to be the podcast that rips on Toronto because oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many podcasts you can go to that rip on Toronto, but in regards specifically to a potential trade. With Detroit. I could see them. Maybe trade for the guy we just talked about. Svechnikov. If you get rid of. Svech, if you give up Svechnikov. And you get. Kaspari Kapanen. And some sort of sweeteners. In there. It automatically upgrades. Your forward pool. And it gives them a guy. On a dirt cheap contract. That you can plug in with. Any of the main forwards that you've got, and he could hold his own.
0: I really think it's so interesting for Toronto. Like, I don't know, but if you guys didn't watch that video that I sent you this week about like the like the 50 years of failure for the for the Maple Leafs, please do yourselves a favor and watch that. Rough. And anybody who's listening for that matter, I don't normally plug other people, but. If you get the chance, go onto YouTube and just type in Toronto Maple Leafs. Fifty years was I think it's like fifty years of failure or a half decade of failure. It's something like that. No, half a century of failure is I think the actual title of the video, and they just document how the Leafs have just not been good for fifty years. It's a fantastic, fantastic case study in how not to run a club.
1: Makes me feel better about the Hawks.
0: Oh my gosh, but anyway, wait, I feel like we've kind of exhausted this topic. It was just something interesting that I thought showed up in the uh, the news this week. Just There hasn't been a ton to talk about for the Wings the past couple weeks, and this is something to talk about, so I kind of want to touch on it a little bit. Um, Let's go back to the actual playoffs now, now that we've actually touched on the main news for the Hawks and the Wings. So a little recap of the series around the league for uh, actual round one. So the teams that advanced are the Boston Bruins, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, the New York Islanders, the Dallas Stars, the Philadelphia Flyers, and the Vancouver Canucks. So out of the series that we saw so far in round one, what were your guys' surprise series if you had
2: one? Biggest surprise, hands down. This is going to sound weird. Like if... None of the stuff that happened already happened. But the Boston Bruins. I thought the Carolina Hurricanes were going to be a team to be reckoned with in general, even with everybody healthy and all things considered. But Boston lost to Karask after game two. Yeah, he opted out of the season and left the bubble. David Pasternak was hurt for, I think, three games. And they were also dealing with, I think, a couple other injuries. I think Andre Kasia... Was hurt for a little bit, so I mean, with you know, you have two very good wingers. Out, I mean, David Pastrnak, a top five player in the league, and you lost your starting goalie. Did not think Boston had a chance against Carolina, and you know they overcame adversity and handled Carolina pretty handily. So that that's my biggest surprise.
1: I mean, God, Boston is such a scary team because they're they're so deep, and their top guys, their leadership they have such a strong confidence in that locker room and it exudes like, and it's not even just uh, Bergeron, Shara, you know, Marchand. It's, you know, crazy crazy is phenomenal. And I, I think that sometimes he gets overshadowed with the fact that he's not one of the big names that I mentioned, but he's been an anchor for them uh, on their centers. And, you throw in guys like on the defense, like Charlie McAvoy and Tori Krug. They've got, and yeah, they lost their number one goaltender, but Yaroslav Halak is a number one goaltender. They're so deep and so experienced that I would not count them out of anything in this league, no matter who they're up against. I still believe it's going to be a Vegas-Boston uh, Stanley Cup which I think would be some exciting hockey, personally. But I think my biggest surprise, and it shouldn't be a surprise to me, but the Islanders. Uh, the Islanders uh, completely just decimating the Capitals. I There was a point where we thought that they were going to get swept. I figured the Islanders would win, but I had no concept of how they would control and dominate this entire series. Uh, Washington looked like a shell of itself, except for Ovechkin willing them purely to their one win. They just didn't stand a chance. I think the New York
0: Islanders and the Capitals series is probably the one that surprised me the most. Like you said, I mean, I didn't think that this series was going to be this lopsided, but man, the Islanders just... They controlled this series. There's no other way to really put it. And the Caps just did not look themselves. I mean, the like a four-one series win over a team like the Capitals, who is pretty, pretty competent when you look at the actual roster, <laughs> it just looks so weird. Because I mean, the Islanders they they don't have that game breaker like Ovechkin or like Kuznetsov, or you know that certified goaltender like Braden Holtby, who's well, what's he on Two Vesnus now.
2: I think so actually, yeah. I think one or two, at least one, but two I think.
0: Yeah, like and like you look at this Islanders roster and you're like they don't have all those cool like the, all those awesome pieces and yet here they are 4-1 win.
2: Like I mean that's a ba- bit. That's the Barry Trotz factor right there.
1: Barry Trotz and then credit where credit is due, Matthew Barzal. Is oh yeah. that wow factor is becoming that person that can take over a game it's why they felt confident with I mean well I mean they tried to keep Tavares with everything but it's why they weren't in a full panic mode when Tavares left they had this kid who was coming up saying hey wait a minute I can drive this team and uh Varlamov the the Varlamov pickup in the offseason was a really smart move I, I didn't necessarily expect it at the time but He's a competent veteran goaltender that, again, as we've seen with Barry Trotz's defensive system, all Varlamov has to be is on his game and competent, and they're doing their job. Uh, They work as such a unit that they can shut down even the best scorer in Ovechkin.
2: Oh, man, I can't wait, though, for offer sheet season for Matthew Barzal because that is going to be through the roof. It, it, I I know it's I'm getting ahead of myself, but that kid is going to have. Ye, this might be like the game breaker. We thought it was going to be Marner. It's going to be every
1: year, though. We think it's going to be the summer of offer sheets, or I guess the fall of offer sheets. Now, uh, with the way that we're looking scheduling wise, but this this idea, uh, I wish there were more offer sheets, but we just don't see it. Maybe maybe Barzell's the one, but I feel like. Offer sheeting Marner could have been a, a huge success because of where Toronto's at with the cap and whatnot. But I don't know. Uh, I Maybe I hope for some excitement in the offseason with a dramatic offer sheet.
2: If we want to talk about excitement, I, it, I hope the Islanders don't make the Stanley Cup because I, that's going to be a very boring run. They play a very boring game. But don't get me wrong. If it works, it works. Like oh, go yeah. win Stanley Cup any way possible, but it's an entertainment factor. It's a snooze fest. I mean, they play just such a suffocating defensive game. There's really no. If you want excitement, don't watch an Islanders game because it's not going to bring it to you. But it, I mean, they're it, a damn good team.
1: It reminds me of when the Island, well, not the Islanders, uh, when Ottawa was in the Eastern Conference Final in 2017, and they got their way up there and battled the Penguins. Uh, and oh my gosh, it was that same sort of like setting up the trap, shutting down in the neutral zone. You had William, Car- uh, you had Eric Carlson just decimating as a defenseman. That same sort of defensive shutdown. It, the Islanders have rewrote the book on it. It's boring, but it's also, as a case study in defensive hockey, it's phenomenal
0: like it's it's boring to watch for sure but like my god is it effective I mean you just mentioned it you know Ottawa literally did the same thing and got themselves all the way to a, concert, a conference finals with it like it's an effective strategy even though it's not entertaining and if it works for me it works
1: and it's hard to do like <laughs> credit where credit is due again it might be boring but it's got to be exhausting out there
0: I think it's kind of funny in this series in particular I mean Barry trots the team that he now coaches literally beat the team that booted him from the head coach position, even though he literally had just won a Stanley cup with them, but that's neither here nor there. Um, we saw the Capitals, they fired their coach, correct? I can't remember his yep. name. Um, Todd Todd ridden. Todd ridden. Now
1: <laughs>
0: for a coach to take their team to the playoffs and still get fired, I think is personally wrong, especially considering how long he's had in Washington. I don't think it's long enough tenure to really warrant a firing, especially two playoff appearances in your tenure already. Um, you guys kind of mentioned it earlier in the episode. What do you guys think this means for Jeremy Colleton? Because I'd imagine he should have an even shorter leash.
1: Do you want to take this first, Nick, and then I'll go? Or Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I got a lot on my mind. I I'm got sorry. a feeling I'll let you go first. <laughs> All right. So Jordan, you mentioned
2: short lease for Jeremy Carlton. He shouldn't even have a short lease. That man should have a choke collar on because it's just like all right, so just to go through just what happened the past couple of weeks. Start with I mean the Oilers, the Hawks handle them pretty easily, but and you go he he was preaching how this is a good opportunity for the young guys to play. This is a good opportunity for them to get playoff experiment experience and you know, develop their skills in meaningful games. He goes by contradicting himself by scratching Adam Boquist, which, I mean, is it warranted? Maybe. But if you're going to preach that this is developmental, this is what it's all about, like, getting him in meaningful games, then scratching him is not going to do anything. Uh, Alex Nielander, again, warranted. Maybe I'm actually okay with that one, but, again, contradict what you say. Then we'll go to game three with the Vegas Golden Knights. You have... Three minutes left in the game and you have your best, your best center out there, Jonathan, or not even out there. Jonathan Taves. he wasn't out there for the final two and a half minutes at a timeout in your pocket. He says the whole reason why he didn't call a timeout was because Jonathan Taves was on the ice for a, I think it was like a minute, 15 second shift. And there was no stoppage after the one minute mark. You had I think there were two stoppages before like the 130 mark where you could have called timeout, but he was saying Taze just came off the shift, and after that there was no stoppage. You get a 30-second timeout. You're in playoff hockey. Jonathan Taze has been in these situations before. He will he will, will his way to tough it up and go out there and put his team in position to win. He's a goddamn captain of the Chicago Blackhawks. He's been in positions like this before, down in the series, facing adversity, where they need him out there. Him and Patrick Kane. Eric Alton doesn't recognize that. Game five. Not only do you, and when you scratch Alex Nylander, you replace him with John Quinville, it, do, it doesn't It does make any sense. John Quinville is, you know, he was a former first-round pick who really didn't amount to anything. He plays a kind of physical game. Still not like a presence, but he's he could lay the body. And you have him out there in the final two minutes, down one goal, and you have him out there in the final two minutes of a game five elimination game, against one of the best teams in hockey also doesn't make sense. And then he goes to say, uh, John Guineville, I thought, played well, where he, there was there was one play I noticed him in, and that was like a forechecking play. They got the puck out, and it led to an okay scoring chance. It's just the little things, the mismanaging lines, like line matching in game three against Vegas, he did not take to his advantage. I think it, uh, he could have had an opportunity to have Tays out against the fourth line, and instead he went with their fourth line. Like it, you can't line match that you got to take advantage of the opportunities and he just doesn't know how to do so. And you've seen that. All, I mean, you've seen improvements from last season, but I mean, you got you're you're a young coach, but you've been coaching overseas and also in the AHL and you can't recognize and take advantage of opportunities that are given to you. Is sort of where I'm going with it. Like it, it he's not competent enough when it comes to game management. And that's, what's infuriating about Jeremy Carlton.
1: Am so, I am I good to provide the yes, rebuttal? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, because I I'm still, and I'm gonna get a lot of I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this. I'm still on the Colleton train. I'll be really really honest. Um, first, to your point about scratching out a Boquist as a way of negating the youth movement, I I would agree with you if we were scratching Boquist and putting in like Nick Sealer. Uh, But we put in Lucas Carlson, who's also a young guy and someone who we did want to get some playoff experience. He looked super smooth and really good in his regular season games that he got in with us. He's going to push for a potential roster spot next year. Um, I think it makes sense that if you're going to bench the kid who looks like he's drowning, let's put in another kid who plays a similar smooth puck-moving game Let's get in, him in here. It's not like Bo, Boquist is lighting it up. Let's give Boquist a night off to sort of look over tape, think about things, put in Lucas Carlson, and see how he does. Um, I get that. I, I, I get that move. And especially, we needed a shake up going into that game. I think. It, I think it was the right move personally. Um, the not putting Taze on the ice with the time and not using the timeout. I will agree with you 100%. That is incredibly frustrating, and sometimes I think that Colleton plays 40 chess where he's a couple of moves ahead, and he's not seeing the obvious play in front of him, which is put the captain out there. He The one thing that I will say is I think that he misses the obvious choice or the simplest answer. Uh, I understand putting... John Quinville in for the main reason, and I would have liked to see uh, Brandon Hagel personally. I think that Hagel would have. That was my choice. Yeah, no, it makes sense because I don't think, I think Sakura would have been slaughtered against uh, Vegas. But I think that the idea was to put in another guy that drove physical play, which is what they're supposed to have in John Quinville. And if you're already taking out. Neilander who was providing he was a, he was nothing he 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 was a ghost in that series invisible addition by subtraction you're getting rid of him and you're putting in john carl uh john quinville who if he has a couple of hits and maybe he helps make a play that way that's already an addition to what Neilander Ny- was doing um I wish he hadn't been stapled to the first line. That's a puzzler for me, but I also... Would have made more sense on the fourth. Yeah, or, yeah, bump Highmore up to the third line, put him on the fourth, or put uh, Quinville on the third line with Strom, and maybe Quinville makes a little bit more room for Strom to make plays. I can can get down with that. Uh, Some of those combinations were frustrating to me, and I will admit that. Now... What I'll say on Colletton's lacking of awareness and his line mat, you know, yes, he's coached in Europe, he's coached in the AHL, and he has seen fantastic success in all of those locations and all of those different leagues. He's, he grew there he grew the Swedish team that he had to bump it up into like their first or second division. They they bumped up a division because of his, where he took the team. Rockford looked phenomenal when he took a team that was a basement dweller a year or two before and they were in the Calder uh championship. Like that's phenomenal. I think that we brought him up a little too soon. Um I think that when In regards to his leash, or I think you called it like a choker or something like that yep <laughs> i I am one hundred percent behind giving him another year. uh, his first year up uh, was an impossible task. We got rid of Joel Quinville, who is beloved by everybody in Chicago, and then brought Colleton up and said, "Hey, see this roster that Quinville couldn't win with? You're gonna win with it, and he's like, mm-hmm, okay, I'll try uh." He didn't have time to implement anything. It was a decade of muscle memory in these vets that all of a sudden they had to start changing things. And I think uh, Crawford had another concussion that year, uh, so that year's a wash. And then he gets his training camp the next year, which is fantastic. But then we also see series of injuries to guys that we really needed, like Shaw out for the year Dahan out for the year who was brought in to help solidify our blue line uh, Seabrook out for the year who, yes, he was fluctuating uh, whether he was in the lineup and out of the lineup, but he's a huge presence in the locker room as well. And I do want to point out that Colliton was willing to bench Seabrook when he deserved it, it from the, the play perspective Colleton's been seen to make some hard decisions sometimes he's a little stubborn with his line changes but or with his line matchups and whatnot but the one thing that I keep reading about him and whether it's people that he's worked with in the past that have been interviewed or interviews with players it sounds like he genuinely is this Communicator who is willing to adapt his style and he listens and he is constantly watching tape and hockey and changing things up and is willing to try things and I think that we have to give him another year to to sh- start growing this team uh it's he was put in an impossible decision, and the thing that I have to keep reminding myself is. We weren't doing great under Quinville in the last couple years. It clearly, if, if we had been, he would we wouldn't be in the position that we're in now. I love Joel Quinville it's from the bottom of my heart. But a new change is a new change, and we have to give it a little time. I, I think the players have bought in. I think that they're on board. They're clearly trying. We got to give him another year to see where he's actually at with this. I think a big influence on my reason, like to get off
2: the train as as quick as possible, is just due to the agent coaching class with Laviolette and Gallant, and now Todd Reardon. And I mean, Reardon's done some great things with Washington. Sure, he's got outplayed in the first round the last two seasons, but you know, this year Trot's factor just Trot's just out coaching, and uh, last year was Carolina, who was just a dominant force, but also just. I you know, like the little things during the regular season, how he the failure to pull a goalie when he had to, or it was, he pulled a goalie too late. Like the man on man defense is going to need some work. I don't think that's going to fly with the talent that the Blackhawks go against. And little, uh, I had one more thought. Oh, yeah. and then like dump and chase with like your top two lines here. Sure, it might work for a fourth line grinder role that will go get the puck. But when you guys have like when you have guys like Stromer to break it, they're not gonna go battle for it. like they're not gonna win. They'll go battle, but they're not gonna win a puck battle along the boards. I think uh, you've seen it during December when Colton just let them like the end of December, Colton just let them play like go let it fly out there, and they were you know, they were controlled zone entries. They were on like a seven game win streak at that point where they were just controlling the puck when they entered the zone. And if he goes to that, well, like if he goes. The controlled zone entries. I think they'll succeed, and that's what they should have done against Vegas. And but you've seen a lot of dump and chase where they couldn't win those battles. But I I'm, oh go ahead. No, I mean in the end, I mean I'm not going to be infuriated if they keep Carlton, because I understand you got to trust the process. But uh, I think you also have to take advantage of opportunities when the window's there.
1: I I just don't feel that Todd Reardon is going to be an upgrade from Colleton. i I really don't um I, I think that they're in a very similar position and I think we would be swapping out one for the other um and I'd rather keep the guy that at least they know and there's a little bit of stability there I'm not a big fan of Laviolette i I honestly have never liked Laviolette and just from again i I haven't liked him but then just from the recent stuff from this year about like his form of motivating and his form of coaching I don't think that that's going to be super responsive in the Hawks locker room frankly um I think that yeah I, I just want to see I just want to see another year before I reserve my judgment um it, it'll be interesting to see what we start to move to I I don't think that any system that we would have used would have beaten vegas because vegas was just hand over fist the better team I, I i think that if it was another team like edmonton we would have been able to beat them but i i think we could have beaten the stars i think we could have beaten calgary um i don't think we would have beaten vegas or colorado well, that's fair yeah no i We'll see what happens next year because maybe I I hope in my heart of hearts that he comes back to this and says, okay, new training camp, let's implement this hybrid system where we can't just give up 100 shots a night, but also you should be free to fly high and score your goals and shoot. Let's see the combination that him and the veterans come up with. Because I think that there's going to be more interaction with Taze and Kane. And by the end of this year, by the end of year three, I'll actually be able to have a picture that says, okay, this is where we're at with him. But for the time being, I think he's got a long enough leash that he's going to have all of next year.
2: Yeah. I mean, again, I mean, I see both. I see your point, and you know, it's very reasonable. It's a very reasonable option. And, We'll see. Like you said, we'll see what happens if uh, they decide to keep them and ride it for year three, and then we'll go from there.
1: It's going to be interesting for for sure, (laughs) whichever way this pans out. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and move
0: on to uh, probably the last part of the podcast. Let's talk about just the matchups for uh, round two for the Stanley Cup playoffs that are going on right now. So the matchups that are happening are as follows. Dallas and uh, Colorado are playing against each other. Boston and Tampa Bay are playing against each other. Vancouver and Vegas are playing against each other, and the Islanders and Philadelphia are playing against each other. So those are the four matchups in the second round. Now, of these matchups that are going down, I think personally the Vancouver-Vegas one is my favorite one. I think that in terms of just pure entertainment factor, this one is the best one to watch. Because you've got just a team like Vancouver who is not ridiculously loaded but is just good. You've got a team like Vegas who is just built for deep playoff run. I think that's probably gonna be my favorite one to watch in particular. What's your guys' series in this group that you're looking forward to watching the most?
1: I think that the the Boston Tampa series is gonna be I think it's gonna be fantastic. You've got the Bruins who I've already talked about i really don't like pumping boston's tires as much as i seem to uh throughout the last couple episodes but it's hard not to they're a ridiculously talented team and a lot of there's a lot to be excited about with them and likewise the lightning are ridiculously deep you've got you know point and Kushirov like they've and vasilevsky you know their defense is phenomenal I think that's going to be the powerhouse matchup in the East. Uh, Because I think the Islanders are going to beat the Flyers. um, And I think in the West, I think the Avalanche are going to beat the Stars. And I think that Vegas is going to beat the Canucks. Um, I don't know who's going to come out of it on top with this Lightning Bruins series. My bet would be with Bruins, but the Lightning continue to be a dangerous team. Yeah. And, uh, since, I mean, you went in
2: depth about the Knights and Canucks, I'll go in depth about, uh, Avalanche stars. I think that's going to be for entertainment factor. I think that's going to be quite the series. I think you're going to see a lot of goals. Um, a lot of young studs with that Colorado Avalanche, uh, Nathan McKinnon is going to continue to dazzle. Cal McCarr is just continuing to just be impressive at any, any aspect of the ice. Um, like Tim said, Lightning Bruins is going to be the head honcho, the one that really carries it all. It's going to go toe to toe. I think I could see that going seven. Um, but, I mean, Flyers Islanders. I think there's going to be some hockey, but also boring, just because, like I said, with the Islanders. <laughs> and then, uh, but I mean, I'll go. To, I'll do a quick run through. I'll go Knights and six, Avalanche in seven, Lightning in seven, Flyers in six. Right,
1: make some predictions okay make some predictions Tim um okay here we go. I'm gonna say Avalanche in avalanche in six Vegas in five uh Bruins in seven and Islanders in six
0: all right um I'll go Avalanche in six. I'll go Lightning in six. Vegas in... Yeah, I'd say Vegas in seven. I think the Canucks will find a way to steal two games. And I would probably say the Islanders probably in five. Poof. I know. I just... I think the trap hockey (laughs) works. I think it works.
1: It does. It does. Carter Hart is still a force, though. Yeah.
0: Now... The real question, though, looking at this group that we have right here, who do you guys think wins it all? Because at this point, all of these teams are are competent teams. There's no weak team here.
1: I'm the lighting. I'm going Vegas. Hey, I. This want... is the year Tampa Bay pulls it out. Oh man! Or is this the year that Tampa Bay once again makes it to the biggest stage and gets shut down again?
2: <laughs> oh boy. I want,
0: to, I want to see Vegas versus Boston in the so finals. Because nice. that, you have two teams who have who have literally sniffed the finals within the past three years going at it. So at least one of the clubs, and hopefully this is Vegas, ends up getting the W and actually getting like that taste of success.
1: I, I do think from a pure entertainment perspective, a Vegas-Boston final, it's going to be physical it's going to be skilled it's going to be fast you're going to be seeing phenomenal saves you're going to be seeing phenomenal plays both of those teams have they they check all the boxes i i would love to watch that series
2: yeah i mean that gets me tingly just thinking about it (laughs) but i mean for a bias aspect i want uh i would love to see vegas win just for robin letter yeah, I, I, I mean, I I'm, I love Robin Leonard. I mean, he was only here for, uh, what, three, four, three quarters of a season. But, you know, to see Robin, you know, he, he's dealt with some mental or anxiety issues, depression, and all that. And, yeah, to see him overcome it all and outbattle Marc-Andre Fleury and lead Vegas to Santa Cup would be awesome. Well, speaking of that, did you see what
1: Fleury's agent tweeted out? Man, all the picture man, from Robin.
0: getting impaled with the sword?
1: With DeBoer's yeah. name on it? oh man like that's so bad his agent could be in I was reading one of the things his agent could be in a lot of hot water for like causing a controversy and distraction in the middle of a playoff series I I was shocked to see that yeah especially
2: without Flurry's approval I mean Flurry came out and said I didn't like I have no feelings like that. I just want to come out here and win.
1: Right, and Flurry's done that before with Pittsburgh, where he's taken a backseat and he's been professional and respectful. Like, there's no way that that's Flurry. That picture is, uh, it's a like, it's, it's gut wrenching.
0: <laughs> it's it's a bad look. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's a that's a bad look.
1: And nobody needs that. It doesn't help Flurry. Uh, that only just. <laughs> Stirs it up.
0: And it's not like Vegas took flurry and said, We don't need you anymore. Go to the AH or go ahead and just, you know, start sending your gear home. You're not playing anymore of these playoffs. Like, he's still sitting there ready to sub in for the goaltending position. And if Leonard loses the starter position somehow, he's going to get that himself. He's a proven starter at this point.
1: He beat the Hawks in the game that he played for us in the first round. Like, it's not like he hasn't played yeah oh that's just such a bad look it was brutal
2: but I mean we're on the topic of goalies Jordan before you close us out I just had some uh words uh if you know with all the question marks in the air and God knows what happens this offseason with the salary cap staying flat the Hawks really against the cap I just wanted to I mean, if this, if we seen the last of Corey Crawford in a Blackhawks uniform, I just, no I, way. I, I hope not. I hope not. But I mean, it, it could always be the case. I don't see him going anywhere else, but if, you know, if they can't find a way, I mean, he was always, always the most underappreciated goalie in the league. Top five goalie hands down. And you know, hopefully it's not the last one, but if it was in a Blackhawks jersey, I mean, for everything because that I mean what he's done for the Chicago Blackhawks is just you can't compare it to anyone else.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I was calling Crow for Con Smythe just watching him play <laughs> during that series with Vegas. Yeah, uh, so. we don't win the the one game that we won, he faced forty nine shots on goal. Uh, that's brutality. and he stood on his head for us. No, I truly believe that we will see Crow back next year. Uh, if not, I mean, I've got my theories. We can talk about potential goalie stuff on another day. I think we're (laughs) running to the end of our course with this one, but, uh, I would be happy to talk about that in the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that was what I was hinting at
2: earlier, but yeah, I think we should cover it as time gets closer, but, uh, yeah, I just give one little, uh, thank you to Crow just in case, uh, because I know my brain gets off the rail sometimes and I might forget. So Yeah, yeah, just want to do that.
0: Absolutely. I mean he was a key piece of Chicago's roster during, you know, the resurgence of the cup runs. So like you said, I mean it's it's something notable. I mean that's that might be, you know, like a big piece from their roster leaving. I mean you have to wonder, you know, does Chicago win those cups without him? Do they get into the position to win those cups without him? And I mean that's a player who you have to, at least on some point, respect whether you thought he was, you know, one of the best goalies in the league or not. I mean, the fact is, he was insanely good for Chicago, and like I said, just a key piece of that success that they enjoyed. Hundred percent. Very well said. Um, I think that's gonna be it for our show though tonight. I think that's all the topics that I had on the schedule for us. Um, as always, we'd like to thank you guys for tuning in to listen to this edition of the Stickblade Podcast. Uh, as always, if you want to get in touch with us, there are always plenty of avenues for you guys to do that. We've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got YouTube now. Um, you can obviously follow us on SoundCloud or iTunes as well. Those are the avenues that we usually publish the podcast out. Um, I'm going to potentially look into setting up an Instagram for the podcast. I've just been sort of swamped with work, so it's been keeping me occupied. Um, and then there's also, obviously, the snail email at this point, not the uh, the most popular means, but still, it's another avenue to get in contact with us. So the email address is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. The Twitter handle is at stickbladepod. And then, obviously, if you want to find us on YouTube, just type in the Stickblade Podcast will pop up. And SoundCloud, iTunes, again, just give us a like, a follow, however you want to listen to the podcast. We really appreciate interacting with you guys. Um, Unfortunately, no fan mail this week, so that's going to have to be a uh, segment that we skip. But I feel like this was a great episode, and I really had fun. I mean, it's... It's unfortunate now that the Hawks are out of the playoffs and the Wings have been out, so there's no dedicated Hawks or Wings news on the horizon at the moment. But nonetheless, just thank you guys for tuning in to the show with us, especially during this whole COVID shutdown, because it's it's something that I I can't speak for Nick or Tim, but I, at least I look forward to doing every other week, at least right now during the shutdown.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Love it. I mean, I mean, then that, that's what probably you could expect going forward now with no Hawks games going forward. So, I mean, maybe every two weeks now. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think that's pretty much going to be the plan moving forward is we'll record every two weeks, unless we have just some major piece of news come out throughout the NHL. Um, But anyway, yeah, I think that's going to be it for this episode. Um, As always, we appreciate you guys again for tuning in and listening to the show. It's, this is a, at the end of the day, a podcast that is by fans and for fans. Uh, there's no corporate sponsorships. There's no advertising deals or anything like that. So we really appreciate you guys just tuning in and giving us your ears. And as always, you guys take care of each other, take care of yourselves, and stay safe. Thank you, Christopher C. Come on. <laughs>